It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's our Euro 2020 daily podcast, and it's live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of our Euro 2020 show. I'm delighted to be joined once again by the brilliant Dan DeLuca. How are you, sir? Yeah, happy as ever. Happy Good. as ever. Back back to a, back to four games today. So you know, yesterday I was a bit miserable. I had to talk to my wife in the evening. Why did they put that game on at five o'clock? They could have done it at eight right. o'clock. Yeah, I, I agree. It would have been better, wouldn't it? No, mind you, at the moment, my wife goes to bed at about nine o'clock. So actually... With the game being earlier, then I've got from five till seven, I don't have to speak to her. And then I've only got to deal with her for a couple of hours before she goes to bed again. So it's probably actually better for me. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Still, Mrs. Mrs. DeLuca stayed up. It was really awkward. Terrible. <laughs> but send her to bed. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> no, no, dis- no discipline in this house at all. That's it. Exactly. Welcome back to the show. Still, how are you, sir? Oh, I feel a hundred times better knowing that you guys have had women problems because my one is in Edinburgh with work. <laughs> <laughs> so you're loving life. You're loving the bachelor oh, yeah, style mate. life. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. I like you, lads. Ball and chain and all that. Trouble and strife. It. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty to get into on this edition of the show. We're going to be rounding up the action from today. That's Monday at the time of recording. I know by the time some of you guys listen to this, uh, it will be uh, Tuesday. Uh, so, yeah, at the time of recording, we're going to be reacting to today's games. We're also going to be looking ahead to England's game at Wembley versus the Czech Republic. But there's only one place to start in terms of Monday's action, and that is in Group B where Denmark put on a show and a half, uh, defeating Russia by four goals to one. And courtesy of Belgium's 2-0 win against Finland, the Danes squeezed through in second place, despite picking up uh, just three points in the entire tournament. But they really put on a show uh, tonight. I'll come to you first, Del. How amazing was it, first of all, to see a great performance, but second of all, to see a packed stadium with beers going up in the air every time the ball hit the back of the net. It was just, it made you love football again, didn't it? Yeah, that's it, mate. And, and you know what, Harry, when um, what happened to, uh, when we saw what happened to Christian Eriksen and we obviously heard the good news that he's, he's safe, I thought this could either go two ways for Denmark. They could either throw in the towel and say, right, you know, Christian's health is more important no, let's, let's just get this tournament over and done with whatever. Or it could galvanise them and kick them forward. And they had a great start against Belgium and they're kind of tired. But this one, and I tweeted it earlier, it reminded me of England demolishing uh, the Dutch at Euro 96. First half, front foot, completely bossed Russia. Russia had nothing. Second half, they took off the gas. I, I thought... Yeah, you know, they, they might be happy with to sit on a 1-0. Then the mistake happened. Paulson made it too. Russia got one back. And even then, I thought, no, nah, the nerves aren't going to kick in because Denmark just looked so good. And obviously, Eric, um, Christians, Christensen's goal. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we say you're going to find a better goal in this tournament. But I think the whole chain of events with the goalkeeper making the double save and the poor clearance from the defender and the way that the ball rolled to him, you know, you guys have played football. That was almost an inch-perfect pass. In fact, it was an inch-perfect pass because he actually didn't have to put his foot through it. Um, he just more guided it than anything with with, the, with his uh, with his laces. But yeah, to answer your question, Harry, man, yeah, what a performance. Um, and the fans, I love seeing beer being thrown all over the place, man. It's, you know, yeah, scenes, as I say, limbs. Exactly. Dan, uh, I mean, Denmark were, were really impressive, but, you know, I, I, we'll talk about Russia in a minute just briefly, but, sticking with Denmark for a minute they were brave they were up for it they were fired up um you know I'm sure the the Christian Eriksen thing was was partly the reason for that as well playing in front of a full crowd 
I'm, you know, I've watched Denmark in this tournament so far and felt like at times they didn't quite get what their performances deserved. But it seemed to all come together tonight, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. And like back to the limbs thing, that's I've not been to a stadium for well, as long as most most people and you just want to be part of the limbs. You know, you, you want to be in you want to be in a crowd celebrating a goal again. And that's the most wild celebration. I've seen in a crowd for a, a good year and a half. So, yeah, it was nice to see. Um, they have been unlucky. For me, that Finland game, the Ericsson thing, a lot's going to be made of it. Of course it is. But I don't want to do the performance a disservice by saying anything that's going to suggest that Denmark weren't capable of playing like that anyway. You know, they've put on a really, really good show. Um some people will say, you know, is that extra 10% playing for Christian Eriksen? I'm not sure I, I, I buy that. I actually think it's more playing with the absolute freedom that this tournament for them is almost a free hit. You know, they were, they were basically out after the first two games. You have the chance of finishing second with three points if you're in a group that has a standout team. Um, that's what's happened. It doesn't happen very often. But the thing with it was that game against Finland, they would not have lost that game. And Finland was the game that, you know, everyone would have looked at and said, well, we might lose to Belgium, but if we beat Finland, then we've got one game against Russia and, you know, a point. And Russia would have been looking at it in the same way. If we beat Finland, then then tonight's game would have been the final in any case. So there was a fair chance qualification was going to come down to this game, irrespective of, of, uh, of what happened. And I'm just glad we got to see a team who had who were playing with no shackles, no pressure. When it got to 2-1, it must have been so tempting to sit back and say, well, if Russia scored their through, we'll hold on to what we got here. There was none of that going on. There was none of that going on. And um, and they went for it. When, you know a game's good. You know you're getting what you need when you 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 flick off a of BBC One and go to BBC <laughs> yeah you know and and that's when that's what that's when that's when that's when you know that um you know you're you're witnessing a good game of football and some of the goals were well, you mentioned the christians someone if the net wasn't there i think the ball would still be traveling and <laughs> and the first goal was an absolute banger by the um the Sam story yeah yeah Sam's God, he's a player man he's a yeah player. he's a really really promising confident player so yeah really 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 enjoyed it i had them um, i had belgium on mute um, on my TV and I had my, my iPad set up. Good good evenings football. Yeah, for sure. Well, do, do you know what, Harry? Sorry to interrupt, mate, but Damsgaard, the, the player who scored the goal, he um he came from Nordsjælland's academy. Now, I don't know if you guys are aware, but Nordsjælland are owned by a guy called Tom Vernon. And Tom Vernon created the Right to Dream charity. And he's got a, a great partnership with the Ghanaian FA. And he's got a lot of Ghanaian players going over to Nordsjælland and basically training them up, they get scholarships either in the United States or, or in Denmark. And they produce like my friend Ernest Asante, who plays for Armonia, he came from, from that charity uh, and he ended up playing in the Middle East before going to Armonia. But there's a lot of things happening with Nordschland at the moment. There's a lot of things happening in Danish football. You know about Midtjylland and their um, agreement with Brentford. You're seeing a lot of players coming from there. Uh, the Icelandic goalkeeper, that's at Arsenal, he came from Nordschland originally from their academy. So that club's got a lot of things going for them at the moment. They've got a hundred million pound investment from an Egyptian guy. Uh, so expect to see more and more players coming from their academy and from other clubs like Copenhagen and, and Bronby. It's a thriving league to be honest, but the problem is a lot of their best players are snapped up straight away by the, by the bigger clubs like Ajaxes and Andalex and whatnot. Yeah. And they don't really get the opportunity to, to thrive in their league, but it's, they're a great pool of talent. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Just quickly, I'll, I'll stick with you still just quickly on, on Russia because I mean, if Russia had gone through somehow, that would have been, for me, robbery. Because they've looked dire every time I've watched them play. It's a wonder how Russia qualify for, seem to qualify anyway for every tournament. Because they just, for a country so big, I just, I just don't get it. What, what's the problem with Russia? I mean, there's, I know there's a lot of sort of disappointment towards the coach, but they just don't seem to produce talents. And, and I, I, is, why is that? It's so strange. Most of the players stay in Russia because they get paid well. That's the thing. Over the years, you looked at the, the big names. And I think only Arshavin really was the biggest name to leave Russia. We've seen like Zerkov and all these other players. But in terms of, you know, key figures, you don't see them playing in Serie A like you used to. You don't see them playing in La Liga like you used to. You know, we had, uh, I remember they had someone called Valerie Karpin 
yeah, uh, playing for Celta Vigo. He was a fantastic player. Was he? I'm sure he was Russian, not Ukrainian. But I, I don't think he think, was Russian. Yeah. So you know, they, they they don't have those players anymore. You know, I remember their goalkeeper Akin Fayev. He he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world, but yet he wanted to stay at, at Cesc Moscow. Spartak. Spartak. Was it Spartak? Was it, no, you're no, you're right. You're right. I think I'm like Cesc, but there's, you know. too many, there's too many clubs in Moscow. It confuses yeah. me after a long day. <laughs> yeah, but but to be fair, they they scout players very well in that part of the world. Uh, Vidic came from Spartak Moscow. They signed for Man United from there. So they do sign players. If you want to look at Ukraine, for example, Shakhtar Donetsk, perfect example. Players like Mkhitaryan were were found there. But again, to answer your question, Harry, I just think that a lot of Russians are happy to stay back home. They're happy to to stay where they are. And um, that's to the detriment of, of the nation. You know, if you look at the United States, for example, they've got a, a huge uh, array of talent, haven't they? It's a massive country, but you're seeing loads of players like your Pulisics and even before Claudio Reina, Claudio Reina coming to, to England, John Harks back in the day. So they're not afraid to take that punt and, and try their, their luck elsewhere. I just think the Russians are happy to, to stay home. I think they're just so, uh, what's the word, patriotic, so like, I stay here. I don't want to go to other country. You know that kind of thing. So. <laughs> they they don't want to go anywhere. They they'll go, go they'll anywhere. go to Cyprus though because yeah yeah <laughs> Cyprus is is practically mini Russia. No mini Russia. Uh, let's move on to Group C. Uh, Netherlands had already qualified, um, and of course they they wrapped it up with a three 0 win to to complete their hundred percent record over North Macedonia. A couple of goals for Jorginho Wijnaldum. Um, who's uh, who's had a very good tournament so far. One for Memphis Depay as well. Goran Pandev uh, given a guard of honour as he left the field for the last time uh, for North Macedonia. Um, Dan, what have you made of the Dutch so far? Because going into the tournament, expectation around them was very low, actually, in comparison to what it normally is. They've looked good, but for me, I'm still not sure how they'll fare against one of the bigger sides, if you like. What have you made of them so far? Yeah, the same. So I'm still not sure, but with every passing game, I I sort of run out of excuses as to why I think that. Because actually, they're, they're looking really, really good going forward. They're creating chances. I have no idea how Wijnaldum scores so many goals. I just don't... I, I look at him as a player and I don't see where... I don't see where... <laughs> I don't see where these goals are. Yet he always seems to pop up at the right place in the right time um, and, and, and chip in. He was, a, he was a different player at PSV, Dan. He was a different yeah, player at PSV. He's pushed back. Even when he first came at Newcastle, he was more mm. advanced. Then he's been pushed back at Liverpool. And, and now he sort of found this new role in midfield and he's still got the ability to get forward. But yeah, at PSV, he was more of a, he was almost a winger, wasn't he? An advanced winger to start with, with, with pace. And he's turned into a mature player. But he, he's still, um, he's got goals in him and he, he's, he's clearly a good player. He's not been distracted by the transfer talk, clearly. Depay is probably in the, the same form he was in when he was at um, when he was in Holland before he uh, before he's made a couple of moves that haven't led to him setting world light. He's found some former at Lyon and now he's obviously um, got a big move on a free transfer, but a, a big move to Barcelona. He's in the form of his life. He's scoring goals. And um, there's goals in the side. The fullbacks I like. I've been really impressed with Dumfries. He came off tonight after after about an hour, but, but he looked really really good and he plays into their style. What? What's been interesting is how well they've played with the exception of maybe a 20-minute spell against Ukraine. With all the pressure that's been on the ball going in, you had people flying planes over, didn't you, in the first game, just saying, just 4-3-3, three, three, Frank. This is how we play in Holland. Um, but he's found a way to get them playing the attacking football that the Dutch like. Um, with the exception of that, um, with the exception of that five or ten minutes against Ukraine. When, to be fair, the goals Ukraine scored were good goals. They weren't necessarily defensive errors, were they? There was there's a couple of good strikes in there. He's managed to keep them relatively defensively sound. Okay, the opponents haven't been the strongest, but but they look good. They they look good. And I'm thinking if you look pre-tournament, you were saying France were the favourites. Then there was England and Belgium, and then a couple of other sides. And you'd say Italy and Holland were the two who were were outside, not really being spoken about. England would not want to play Holland in a second round. I can assure you. They would not what they would not fancy that one bit, and I think that's a testament to to, to the way the Dutch have um, approached their games. If you've got you've got three goals in you per game, you're gonna do all right, and um and that, and that's where we that's where we've typically been with 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 Holland. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just touching on Austria, who who crept through uh, in that group, beating Ukraine on the uh, in the final game. I think a lot of people were quite impressed by Ukraine's performance um, against the Netherlands, and then obviously they beat North Macedonia. Were you surprised still to see Shevchenko ball uh, fall short in the end? Yes and no. Um, I was surprised given their performance against the Dutch, especially the last 20 minutes and how they showed that fighting spirit um, against North Macedonia. No disrespect, but you expect them to win. But in this game, a game where you're expecting, you know, Yarmolenko, um, Zinchenko, all the big ga- the big boys to, to stand up and be counted. And you look at how Austria performed against the Netherlands, you're thinking Ukraine are going to, get this one. But to be fair, man, Austria just stepped up. Sabitz had a good game. Um, uh, what's his name? The 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 number 10. I forget his name now. He had a decent game. Arnautovic as well should have had a couple. So, yeah, I, I think um, the result was a fair result. I was more surprised to see Ukraine be so negative. They didn't get forward as much as I thought they would. Uh, perhaps they were playing for a draw. I don't know. Um, but you can't do that in, in at this stage of the competition, especially when, you know, you need to, to get the three points to guarantee qualification. But then again, they still got a chance of going through, haven't they? They could do, yeah. Um, they could do, of course, the, the four it, best third place. It looks bleak. It looks mm. bleak. Because their goal difference, I think, is... Minus zero. One. Is it zero or minus one? Minus one. So to, if they're going to come across... They've got to beat two teams on three points with a minus one goal difference. I think um, I wouldn't even stick around. I'd get the plane today. I'd just what <laughs> <laughs> waste of fucking time. Um, by, so, by the way, did you um, did you guys watch Marlon play today for the Dutch? Yeah, he started, didn't he? Um, yeah, because I think he was on Arsenal's books beforehand, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And um, I think Harry's disappeared. Is Harry frozen? Oh, I think no, Harry's he's back. back. Am I back? Am you're I back? back? You're back. Yeah, you're back. Internet's uh, internet's been playing up all day today. I don't know what's going on. So apologies, uh, but yeah, I've got to give an honourable mention to Finland as well. Who you know, first major tournament. Um, you know, just I know they lost to Belgium, and I, I know you know things didn't necessarily go as they would have liked. But they've got a chance of of sneaking through as well. And um, and uh, best of luck to them because. First major tournament, three points. I know it looks bleak for Ukraine. It looks bleak for Finland as well because their goal difference is minus two. But just to be in contention, I think, in their first major tournament. is so I'm right for not playing Valakari. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Is that is it? Let me know. guess. He plays in Cyprus. He plays in Cyprus. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I just think with Finland, they were playing against a team who didn't need any points, really. I mean, Finland still could have won the group tonight. If they beat Belgium, they'd have won the group. So they had a choice, you know, when it got to 60, 60, 50, 60 minutes, they had to take a choice as to, are we more likely to shut Belgium out or are we more likely to score? They chose to to sit back. It didn't work. You hear me say this a lot in the Premier League, normally when Burnley are playing and I get really pissed off about it. And I say they're set up to lose 1-0. They actually lost 2-0, but they set up to lose 1-0 and they lost. It was a, It was a standard performance of a team that are about to lose late in the game you know it was never ever 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 going to happen and then the bit that was really mysterious I don't know if you saw this as I mentioned I was watching both games about at 1-0 Timo Puki got played through on goal and there was only the goalkeeper to beat and he turned around and checked back and ended up running in the other direction and I just looked at him and thought well, how big a chance do you need you know if you've set up to 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 lose one nil and then you get that chance to put it right. The one chance you create and you go backwards. And I just kind of, I do wonder about these teams when I think you've done all that work to get to this tournament, the first one ever. And you go out and play like that. And I just feel, what was the point? What was the point of being there? I can understand setting your stall out and being hard to beat initially. They got a free bonus against Denmark. Let's face it. That was absolute bonus time. You know, they might, you know, they were very lucky to win that game in the circumstances and a couple of uncharacteristic errors and people hitting back passes for penalties and Schmeichel, you know, just more worried about previous events to catch a ball straight at him. So they got lucky there against Russia. 
they offered very little against the poor Russia side. Okay, they had a goal disallowed for offside, but that was all they offered. And then today they've come out against Belgium to, and they've set up like that and not at any point tried to change it. And I just thought it was a waste in a group where, you know, that they've got three points, you know, and and the team in second have got three points and gone through. I just thought they could have offered a bit more in one of those last yeah. two games. Quick mention for Wales as well before we we turn our attention to uh, to the England game because we haven't done a pod since then and, and Wales obviously uh, qualified through. Still, what did you make of uh, Patrick Vieira's comments on ITV where he suggested that he was a little bit disappointed by the fact that Wales kind of celebrated uh, losing the game to Italy? I know it took them through, but Patrick Vieira was very much of the the kind of mentality that you should be trying to get something out of that game. So why are you celebrating a defeat? Is that just kind of that elite mentality that just isn't in football as often anymore? That, that's pretty, practically it. That, and and you know what? It's, it's scary you asked me this question because this morning I, I remembered uh, an Arsenal game. I can't remember which, who you guys played against this season and you lost. And I saw Callum Chambers having a joke on the pitch with Theo Walcott. It was against Southampton. It was against Southampton having a joke with him on the pitch. It was Rob Holding. Sorry. My mistake, Rob Holding and Theo Walcott having a laugh and a joke on the pitch. And I'm like, do this when you're in the dressing room or in the players' lounge. Don't do it on the pitch when the cameras are on you, right? What kind of mentality is this? You've lost the game. You were 14th in the table at the time or something like that. I'm thinking, stop doing that. So, yeah, I I can see what Patrick Vieira is saying because you want to win every game. You want to win every game. And I see teams celebrating draws like hungry. But the thing is, no one gave Hungary a chance. So I can I can understand why they were celebrating a draw. Um, but to be celebrating a defeat, all right, they've gone through. Save it until, you know, you get in the dressing room and start doing that. Don't do it in front of the cameras because you're showing a completely different mentality. You're, you're happy to be losing. Even though you've gone through, you're happy to have lost the game. It, it doesn't make no sense to me. Patrick Vieira said it was as though they'd packed their bags uh, to go home already and that th- they were satisfied having got to where they got. And that was a sign of that. D- do you agree, Dan? What was your view on it? Yeah, well, you, those who listened to, to the pod on Saturday Saturday morning heard my views on Scotland um, and the way they overly celebrated a nil-nil draw. They hadn't even got through. So I think, you know, your remit in a tournament is to get through. If you're happy you got through, fine. You know, that's, that's, that's okay. You've got through. You are acknowledging, like Stel says, the same was said about Scotland. You're acknowledging you are a smaller nation. And I think in Wales's case, they got to the semi-final last time. Now, that doesn't mean the expectation is they should get to the final this time, but it means they have been in this company. So just getting out of the group shouldn't be enough, really. I think there's an element of they had a player sent off and they they kind of forgot they were 1-0 down before the player got sent off, and were just happy they drew the second half 0-0. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, look, we managed to hold them off with 10 men. They were second when the game started. They finished second. So nothing really changed. So if they went from third to second somehow, then I'd be like, okay, we're definitely through. We'll be a bit happy. But yeah, it's just a bit, it's just a bit weird. You know, it's just a bit weird. They've got through, I guess... Now they've got to play Denmark, which I guess is a reasonable... Leicester keeper against Leicester keeper. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. So, you know, I can see why they're pleased to get through. But like Stel says, that was one for high fives in the dressing room, I think, more so than a, a public display of affection. Um, how big a chance do I think they've got? I thought they did OK against Italy in that they, they created the odd chance, but they, they were outclassed um, for quite large spells. And, you know, I just think... Maybe it's a, a show of you get all this together, stronger stuff. Maybe it's a show of solidarity, a show of togetherness that they think is going to take them forward. Fair play to them. Maybe I'm being harsh, but yeah, I kind of understand Vieira. It's the sort of thing Keane would say as well. You know, these people are elite professionals. They've won European Championships and World Cups. So Roy Keane decided to have a strop and go home instead. But, you know, they've won European Championships and league titles. So they look at things in a different way. Um, I guess that's where I look to Gareth Bale. And Gareth Bale is the captain. He's the leader. Um, he has recovered from missing penalties in this tournament. He missed a big chance and still played well. He very much pulls aside together. But that's where I want my leader to get the lads back in the change room and demand more. 
Yeah. Has, has anyone noticed how no one, none of the pundits, none of the journalists ask questions about the actual Wales manager? He who, he who shall not be named. It's almost as if he, he doesn't exist, being Chris Benoit out of the equation, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I was never, I've never been a fan of, of Ryan Giggs, even when he, when he was OJ a player. Simpson. Not because not, not he was a bad player, but I always used to say he used to always be treated like this messiah. And I always used to say to people, like, this guy's an asshole. Can no one else see this apart from me? And then what, you, why do you, you think he's so protected? Because he was Fergie's golden boy. You I hear think, the stories um, about him and Lee Sharp going out, and Lee Sharp was always the one getting into trouble, and, and Ryan Gee's always been protected. I'm not going to go into that guy. No, no, but I'm, some people I'm, just have that. Some people have that, you know, you cannot you cannot possibly criticise. This person can never do anything wrong. It's the same as on a lesser scale. You know, there are certain managers who, you know, for whatever reason, let, I'm going to pick on, like, God bless you. Like let's go with Bobby Robson, right? Everyone loves Bobby Robson. If Bobby Robson ever picked a bad t- a bad side, I, it's almost like you wouldn't be allowed to question it because you'd be like... Oh, oh hang about. Don't you remember Italian 90, how the press it's... were destroying him because he announced before the tournament that he was going to leave to go to, I think, it was it Sporting Lisbon or was it PSV Eindhoven? He announced that he was going to leave before the tournament. He said, at the end of the tournament, I'm going to go to... I'm going to leave the England job. Yeah, so I, was thinking, him. I was thinking more like the the latter part of his career, like at that point. Oh, so after that, yeah, so but after after um after Italia ninety where he'd kind of cemented his, his legacy, um, is like you, you know, you couldn't ever question him. And there's, there's a couple of other examples and it's just like, you know, whatever this person whatever Brian Clough, for example. Yeah, he's another one. You know, he got relegated. Can you imagine a manager like any other manager getting relegated and 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 yeah, it's okay. You get spoken about as the best manager of all time. It just wouldn't happen. And Ryan Giggs was just one of those chosen people. You shall not question me. And um and then you saw the chinks in the armor. You saw his, his, his you know his behavior in his personal life. And now when I hear things like this, like what he's been trialed for at the minute, it's like it just doesn't surprise me. And it's almost like it's been whitewashed, absolutely yeah. whitewashed. Um, and maybe that's good for Wales because they don't need a distraction. And fair play to Robert Page because um. He's made brave tactical calls that a standing manager with inexperience perhaps wouldn't necessarily um wouldn't necessarily make. But you know, I'm happy to see Wales do well. I, I kind I obviously live here. Um there was a good a good football fever developing last time in the country, which had never been seen before. But um yeah, the overly celebrating, I think Wales are better than that. I think they've got better players than that. And I and I just would like to I'd like to see a little bit more um a little bit more confidence in in the um in the status that they've built in the game over the last five years. Yeah, agreed. Um, let's let's turn our focus to the England game. Of course, England take on the Czech Republic. And there's been a lot of talk about whether it's better for England to win the group or better for England to finish second. Whatever that case is, you know, England were disappointing against Scotland. I think we can all agree on that. And still, I haven't spoken to you since that game. So I'm going to bring you in first on this. Are you of the opinion that Gareth Southgate got it horribly wrong? And, and if if he did, what changes would you make uh, going into this one against the Czech Republic? Who have shown themselves to be a pretty useful side in the competition so far. Well, Harry, with the Scotland game, Scotland went with three at the back. Uh, Tini being the left-sided centre-back with Robertson as the left wing-back, right? So both of them, if not one or the other, will be overlapping or getting forward. And no one was moving into that space on England's right-hand side. There was no pace on that side. There were so many occasions where Rhys James was open, five, ten-yard space, wasn't receiving the ball, wasn't putting the ball in the box. Just little things here and there, Harry, that basic mistakes that, you know, you, you should be picking up on as a, as a head coach. I, I would have gone with a pacey uh, front four. So you'd have gone, okay, let's say put Harry Kane up front, have Rashford, Sancho and, and Sterling in behind them and just run at them, pace kills. I mean, we, we were told the other day or before, after the Croatia game that Calvin Phillips is the, the Yorkshire Pirlo and Declan Rice is one of the best holding midfielders in the world. So clearly they'll be able to hold little Gilmore, 18 years old, right? So that's what I would have done. I would have played with a, with a pacey front line, just get at them. Hanley is, isn't quick. I think McTominay started at centre-back, didn't he? Yeah. Do you not? So, there it is. But, you know, Gareth Southgate is just like Ryan Giggs in the sense that he's bulletproof. And I said this before in your last show. He's he's bulletproof. But as for the the Czech game, they can't take him lightly. This Czech team is decent. 
And we saw how well Slavia Prague did. They've got a few players in, in their squad. They've got a few players playing in Serie A. They've got one playing in Greece. Well, he's not playing that well. But anyway. Um, but yeah, they, they can't be taken lightly. And they, they really gave Croatia a run for their money. Okay, I know the, the, the Schick penalty was a bit iffy. I wouldn't have given it, to be honest. But Schick's in top form at the moment. And against Tyrone Mings and, and um, John Stones, Toblerone head? I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, DDO, about the selection. And we know that Ch I think it's Chilwell and Mount now have gone into isolation as a precaution after mixing with Billy Gilmore uh, after the game, who, of course, has tested positive for COVID and is out for Scotland now. Um, but in putting those two aside... Who needs to come into the team that wasn't part of the team against Scotland for you? Who needs to come in from the start for Gareth Southgate to kind of, I don't know, for him to see, for him to realise, for him to understand that the way the team were playing and the, the way he was setting them up, just, yes, it got them over the line against Croatia, but it, it wasn't enough. Um, Sancho needs, needs to come into this team. Um, Sancho, you, width is needed. I won't go over old ground. Obviously, some people have listened to my views on, on Saturday morning. Width is needed in this team. Um, I think Grealish needs to come into the team. Maybe you can't do both. So, Southie has to decide. Um, is it against the law to drop Phil Froden? Just because he was the best player of the front four, the bar was pretty low, right? The bar was low. Kane barely touched the ball. Raheem Sterling wasn't there. And Mason Mount on the day, you may as well have replaced with a traffic cone. So just because he was the best of those four, just because he's the, he's the flavor of the month, you know, he's a young kid. Like, like Stel said, that wasn't the game for him. I said it before the game. That wasn't the game to start Phil Foden out wide. Now you can start Phil Foden at number 10 in the middle and put Sancho out wide. If you want to play Rashford, I wouldn't, but if you want to play Rashford, you can do that. But whatever is needed, there needs to, there needs to be some pace and width from from the outside who are capable of getting in behind fullbacks and pinning them back. Um with Mount particularly, Chilwell didn't play, but with Mount, can you imagine not getting anywhere near Gilmore during 90 minutes of play and then having to self-isolate because you went to hug him after the game? But that just sums up <laughs> just sums up the ridiculous state of affairs. Like they couldn't they couldn't I'm, even... I'm waiting for Talksports to get Mason Mount's dad back on the radio to explain to get the exclusive <clears throat> the scoop. Um, yeah. So, so I think I think what's clearly going to happen, irrespective of whether Mount and Chill will recover or not, Mount isn't going to start. That has forced Southgate's hand. He now cannot play the same team. He has to do something different. So, my my guess is, you know, my guess is somehow that is that he's gonna he's gonna drop Foden in the middle uh, and play Rashford or Sancho on the outside as opposed to dropping a uh, playing Grealish for whatever reason he doesn't seem to fancy Grealish it took him a long time to call him up to the squad it takes him a long time to to bring him off the bench so that's what I think Southgate would do I would make two changes I would drop full foes and I would start San I would start Sancho um there's a case for dropping Sterling and playing Foden out on the left where he has done for Man City. Everyone says Pep Guardiola is, is the king. If Pep Guardiola thinks Foden is a better option than, than Raheem Sterling, then, then why doesn't Gareth Southgate, you know, just because he scored in the opening game, is that enough to get a free pass forever? You know, Sterling hasn't played a good tournament for England. That, that's a fact, you know, like ever. So I've got no issue with that. But he needs to do something different with that four. It needs to be balanced. There needs to be width. And then, if he can do something with a fullbacks and pick whichever two volunteer to cross the ball, then I think he should do that as well. It sounds harsh. I know I'm being harsh, but like Stel said, there were things in that game that a top coach should have spotted. And the result is not important for England tomorrow. The result is, is apart from the momentum and getting the media to shut up, the result doesn't matter. England are through. Okay. And if this was any other European nation, them and Czech Republic would both need a draw to finish where they finish and get through. That there would be a secret handshake in a tunnel, and the game would be played out, and there'd be a one-all draw. Like if this was Germany playing someone or Italy playing someone, this would be a nailed-on draw. You could stick a big wedge on it, and, and you'd cash in. So what England need to do in this game is work out the best pairing is to find the whip they need because they must have realised retrospectively what they did wrong against Scotland. Surely everyone can see it. You'd hope so, but you never bloody know. 
I think I think England needs to be very careful at set pieces because England aren't really a big team in terms of height. Mings is good in the air. Stones is good in the air. Have you seen Kane do well defensively in the box? So which tall players do England have in that team? Calvin Phillips isn't. I don't think Declan Rice is any good in the air, personally. But the the uh, the checks, they're dangerous at dead ball situations. You know, when you've got Socek there, you've got Schick, as I mentioned. Um, Kalas going forward. I don't know. It, it could be a sticky one for England. This could be a, a banana skin. I thought that they'd struggle against Croatia. In the first 20 minutes, England steamrolled them. But as the game grew... Modric dropped deeper and deeper and he was dictating the tempo. But I think with this one, they need to be very careful, England, because I think they, they're really going to, you know, um, take them lightly. And you can't do it in this competition. Not, as I said, at this stage, it's, it's, uh, it's very important to, to remain focused. So, yeah, I, dead balls, it's... Uh, hmm. I think, Steldo, before this tournament, the hype around England grew and grew and grew. It's essentially a home tournament after the second round for them. Unfortunately, the second round, they've got to leave Wembley and play probably the hardest game they're going to have to play. It'll be the hardest, it'll be the toughest uh, second round game. But like you said there, they haven't got a height. You could have question marks over the centre-halves. You know, Stones has had a good season. Stones and Mings as a pairing, no. Maguire, he's not a terrible player, but he's not a world-class centre-half. So you can pick holes in England centre-halves. I don't need to pick holes in the full-backs because Southgate's done it for me. He's picked four right backs, played one right back, left back, dropped two left backs, and then he swapped both full backs for the second game. So he doesn't know himself. So full backs, I can pick a hole there. And the fact that I don't think there was a single cross against Scotland when when the when it was so narrow. So there's question marks over the defensive midfield area. You know, Phillips did all right in the first game. Rice is okay, but they're not going to scare the likes of some of the players you mentioned there. And they certainly can't dictate the tempo in the way Modric could. Croatia lost. I get that. But they haven't got that player who can dictate the tempo. So what have they got? They've got a front four. So go and work out how to use that front four to your advantage. Because that's the weapon. That is the only... You can question the goalkeeper. No one's going to tell me Pickford is, is, a, is a pair of safe hands. So the only weapon England really have got is home advantage, which are about to lose in the second round. And they've got a front four, which has got pace, goals, skill, creativity, options, and one of the most lethal strikers in the world in the last five or six years. Just go and work that out. It can't be that hard. But, but you know, going back to what you said about Grealish, how Southgate doesn't really have that much faith in him. I think the same applies for Sancho. I don't think he fully trusts him, not as a player, but as a person, because from what I understand, he's very close to the Chelsea players. He's very close to the Chelsea players, like Mason Mounts. I think, I think Declan Rice was at Chelsea at one point, wasn't he? And I think he's he's mates with him. And I think he, he feels that he's a little bit immature. Granted, he's done extremely well at Dortmund. Um, but in terms of a maturity, I think Bellingham is more of a mature head than Sancho. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why Southgate doesn't want to play him. I think maybe he's just put him in the squad just to shut people up. It's a weird. It's it, it's a weird one. It is a it is a weird one because he's played good games for England as well. Now, when when Sancho when the hype around Sancho started at Dortmund. I saw him play a few times, a couple against Tottenham, I watched him first hand. I wasn't that impressed with what I saw. I thought he was an okay player. But he has improved. He's started to contribute numbers. He started to develop into a team player. So there's maturity on the field. There's the ability to improve from raw talent to actually getting some meaningful outputs. And he's played well for England at times. So I really struggle with the fact that you're not going to use him at all when you need him. So I don't mind if you pick a starting lineup based on what you think a game's going to play out like and you get it wrong. Well, that can happen. But when you've got the weapons to change it and you don't, that's when I really, really struggle. I don't understand that. We can all pick, we can all say, yeah, we'll start with this team or this is how we think and get it wrong. Any one of us could. But then you change it and you use the weapons at your disposal. And so far, we've seen so little of this front four while England are trying to pretend they've got this perfectly balanced squad forget it forget it because the reality is you haven't so it's a front four that can rival every front four in europe apart from france probably so just go and work that out tomorrow against czech republic and give yourself a chance in the tournament otherwise i said it on saturday this tournament will pass england by in a flash and they'll wonder again how they lost but this isn't the first time an England head coach has had so many weapons at his disposal and hasn't been able to use them. Remember when Paul Scholes was played wide left? Left, yeah, ridiculous. 
Yeah. You know, these, these these little mistakes. I remember John Barnes, they were struggling to, to get him. They were, they were shoehorning players in, putting them out of position just to put them in. And it never worked. It never worked. Yeah. It was only when they found some balance that they started doing well, like a Euro 96, where they decided to play 3-5-2. And that worked remarkably well. And they were, you know, if had Gascoigne been, you know, a little bit fitter, England probably would have been in the final and, and beaten the Czech Republic. You, you just never know. Um but as I said, Euro 96 is probably the last time England had some consistency where you could say, right, that, that's a team from front Balance. to back. Yeah, but they haven't had that since. Okay, you could argue France 98, you could argue. But again, Michael Owen broke on the scene and, you know, you can't not drop him. Same goes for, was it Euro 2004 when, when uh, Rooney uh, exploded and he scored those goals against Croatia? But again, that, yeah, that was, that was a good, that was a good talk. Can I say one more thing, Harry? Because I know we're yeah, watching yeah, it here. No, but I just, I just want to say, France '98 and England is one of the biggest myths of like of this generation and the generation before, right? Because what I hear a lot of is England. They had, they had some decent players, some good, you know, some decent young players as well. Um, and like you said, Michael Owen burst on the scene and all the hype. And David Batty. But, yeah, Jesus Christ, to say no more. But Batty was okay actually, but. There's this kind of unwritten thing that everyone says, oh, you know, if England, if that goal against Argentina hadn't been disallowed, England would have won that World Cup. And I look at it and I think, well, you lost on penalties to Argentina, who lost in the next round to Holland, who lost in the next round to Brazil, who lost in the final to France. But if England won the penalty shootout, they'd have beaten all those teams. And <laughs> and the World Cup would have come home and we'd have lived happy after. It's just, it's just, I don't know, it's just nonsense. Even in that World Cup, it was, I like Glenn Hoddle. I do. I love him as a player, obviously. I love him for historically a big, obviously, legend at Tottenham. I like him as a, a pundit. I don't like him as a co-commentator. But even in that tournament, he refused to start Beckham because he didn't want to. Not because he wasn't the best player. He didn't want he didn't, he, he didn't want Michael Owen fair to him. Um, you know, he didn't start him at the beginning. It was almost like by accident they stumbled across a couple of good results. But the first decent team they played they still lost and got knocked out. So, bit of a myth. Bit of a myth. Frustrates me a little bit. Yeah, there uh, you go. I've, I've had my rant. Sorry. There we go. No problem. Let's say a big hello to everybody watching us live in the chat at the moment. Hope you're all good. Big hello to everyone who'll be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on. Don't forget, if you haven't already, hit the like button. If you're watching us via YouTube, it really does help. And hit subscribe if you haven't already. We're approaching... 14,000 subscribers on YouTube. I think we're about 300 away uh, from that. So hit the subscribe button. And of course, thank you to those who listen on audio as well. We do uh, appreciate you guys too. You guys need to leave us a review. What are you waiting for? Uh, let's say a big hello to Super FKV, who's joined us from Denmark. Must be party time over in Denmark. Hope you're well, my friend. Um, a few of you commenting on England. Josh says uh, it should be Rice or Phillips and Henderson. That should be the midfield pivot. Uh, Sanjeev agrees with the uh, to talk about Sancho starting. He says Sancho is amazing. It's a crime not playing him. Uh, Tharbo says England have great players, but the coach doesn't know what to do with them. I think it's a bit of both because I do think that England have good players, some good players, but I also think that those players are overhyped overrated and their kind of level is is blown completely out of proportion because we watch premier league football every week and that, that premier league bias is there and it's almost as though people look at that england squad and go well we've got sancho kane grealish foden rashford therefore we should be anyone without ever having any regard for what might be going on in the rest of the world it's there's a snobbery in the Premier League where people always look at been. Premier League players. Yeah, there always has been. And they go, well, they're much better. You know, we were talking about it the other day, Dan. Everyone's ranting and raving about the Italian side now, most of which are playing in Serie A. So people didn't have a bloody clue about them. And they've come onto the scene and they've completely sort of, you know, shown the world that they are at that level when they come together or they can be at that level when they come together. And it just highlights that, the media here, the fans in general, are just so sort of tunnel vision on the Premier League and obsessed with it to the point where they almost disrespect what's going on elsewhere. And I think that England have some talented players. Of course I do. I think that Gareth Southgate's got some flaws as a coach. Of course I do. 
but England have no divine right to win anything. This is a country who haven't won the World Cup since 1966. And even then, you know, there are questions not, to be honest. It's like that. Let me, to put this in context, in, uh, take the, before the last World Cup in Russia, England had only won, like, I don't know, I think it's five. They'd won five knockout games away from Wembley in the history of football. In the history of football. Five. Ridiculous. I think they won a couple with the last World Cup, so now it's a more respectable number. There's a, there's a hell of a lot of work to do, and the reasons for this is some of the things that we were just discussing there about, you know, you've had managers where the media have picked the team. You've had managers where we've shoehorned the best three players. We'll play three central midfielders just because they're the best three and stick one on the left. One of the best generational talents England have ever had, retiring from international football because he doesn't want to play left wing anymore. You know, he's just... This mentality, I don't know what it's going to take for England to break it, you know, because if you have good players, and there are some, you do have to use them properly because because every position on the pitch is important. You can't be carrying passengers. It's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. You wouldn't, it, people do it a lot with, like, centre-halves, where you'll have, like, a right-footed centre-half playing right-back, or you'll play a left-back and you'll stick him in at centre-half. Like, we'll play Carl Walker at centre-half one day. Like, you wouldn't play, if you had two really good goalkeepers, you wouldn't play one in midfield would you just to give them both a game so why'd you do it with an outfield player you know it's just pick the best players in the best positions work out who your most your most potent weapons are and build a team around them it's not that difficult and England overcomplicate it tournament after tournament after tournament and then everyone cries when they go out and I just I'd be so frustrated if I was an England fan at what I'm watching when I see players playing in a wrong position, taking injured players to tournaments. I know we're digressing from this tournament now, but this is the recent history. Well, 20 years worth of, of England that I've watched. It's always something ridiculous that's self-inflicted. And in this case here, we're trying to shoehorn in players because they play for Manchester City. That That's the reality of it. We're picking Sterling because he plays for Manchester City and we're picking Foden because he plays for Manchester City. When actually it's not needed. It's not needed. Yeah. Mix it up and use, like the guy said, use some of the players that are at the disposal, like Sancho. Still, England are going to go through. I mean, it's going to take an incredible turn of events for England not to go through, given that they're on four points. What sh what would be a good tournament for England? What would represent a good tournament for England? And how far, in your opinion, do they go? A good tournament for England will be winning it. They got to the, they got to the World Cup semi-finals, didn't they? So you think that European Championships, you're going to win it, right? That that's the that's the way I see. It, if you want to get the the the, cal the calculator out and everything, but obviously that's not going to happen. You got France there. You got Germany are, are rejuvenated. We've been talking about Italy, perhaps even the Dutch. So that's that's what four teams already that are better than England, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, mean, I don't even think that. Even at the World Cup, though they they finished fourth. Yeah, they but beat they finished, Panama. They, but they finished they beat fourth. Panama. Who was the, who else did they beat? Uh, Sweden and someone else. Beat Colombia uh, on penalties. Colombia on penalties. Yeah, penalties. But what I'm saying is they finished fourth in the Euro in in the World Cup. But they finished fourth behind three other European sides. So I think I think so in in the context of this European Championship, that was blown out of proportion slightly. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah. But they they're going to use the word progress, aren't they? We, we've progressed. We've we've done better. We don't have Ashley Young at left wing back anymore. So we've we, we've progressed. It's it's just these narratives. And again, I, and I said this on your last show. Gareth Southgate is bloody bulletproof. If you saw the headlines the day after the Scotland game, it was like, oh, Gareth Southgate says it's okay for England fans to boo. Gareth Southgate took off Harry Kane. It shows that he's got options. There was no criticism on the guy whatsoever. Gary Neville said Gareth Southgate is the best thing to have happened to England. What drugs is Gary Neville on? <laughs> so, you know, you know, anyway, teabag, I don't want to talk about him. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's so, so a good tournament for England would, for me, be winning it because they, they've never won it before. But realistically, when you look at their roster, as you guys said, quarterfinals at best, quarterfinals at best. That's that's the short answer. Well, yeah, yeah, no, good stuff. Good stuff. Right, guys, we're going to leave it there. Uh, we've been going for 50-odd uh, minutes or so. Hope you've all enjoyed the show. As I said before, don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe 
to the channel if you're new still give us a quick reminder of how people can keep up with your brilliant work and your fantastic podcasts um okay so as you can see my insta is here that's my insta and uh my podcast is called shoot the defense it's at shoot the defense on twitter we've released about six podcasts in two days now which is crazy because we used to have a ukrainian football podcast but they've gone on to do bigger things which is fantastic because uh you know shoot the defense has given them that lift to give them that confidence to move on and they're, they're doing great stuff but we've got another guy adam who's doing his own podcast he's talking to football agents interviewing them um he's doing a show called meeting the 92 so he's going to try and speak to fans of all 92 teams before the season starts um obviously we've got new uh, night vision which has just been released with leon knight and he just goes in balls deep on England, which is great. And um, a few other things as well. So, yeah, Shoot Defence, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, uh, and any other platform that's pretty decent. There you go. Make that's sure. Thank you. Over. No worries. Make sure you go over there and check it out. Uh, Dan, thank you so much, as always. I know you're not on socials right now. That's why I'm not giving you the plug. And it's probably for the best, to be fair. It's It, it must be more peaceful to not be on there, to not be yeah, looking I'm... at your phone every five minutes. I, I need I needed a bit of peace about a year ago, so I um I disposed of social media, but um I I, I may return one day. Due, if, you know the demand is popular enough, and the <laughs> people people want to people want to read my my rants in two hundred and sixty characters or less, then I, I may uh I, I may return one day soon. Same well, to watch I, out I, I I deactivated my personal Twitter. Right. And then I still obviously use the shoot the defense one. And then you get all these people retweeting others. And all you see is just these scantily clad girls on social media that are football fans. And, and it's like, well, all these thirsty boys getting involved. I can't bother with that nonsense. Get out of here. <laughs> right. We'll catch you all next time with more Arsenal and Euro 2020 content. Until then, take care. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.